Welcome again to church this week. We're excited to have you here and join us today. Last week, Matt shared an awesome sermon. He addressed some of the reasons why we don't take up the opportunity to share the gospel. And it made me think about all the opportunities that I've had to share the gospel and be used as an instrument by God. There is this one story that has stuck with me and I would love to share it with you. It was back when I was in uni and my friends had decided they wanted to go out on a Wednesday night to have some fun, as uni students do. I decided to tag along because I wanted to make sure that my friends got home safely. I had become a bit of a mother to the group. On this particular night, I started chatting with a good friend of mine. She said that she had noticed how I looked after my friends, how I accepted her and loved her for who she was. She noticed how I didn't get drunk or caught up in what everyone else was doing. She asked why I was so different. Sometimes I don't think before I speak and the only answer that was able to come out of my my mouth was Jesus. The answer was truthful, but I didn't think it was the answer that she wanted to hear. Yet she then asked me to tell her who Jesus was. I was struck with fear. I managed to get out, how about I tell you tomorrow? I thought this was a pretty good plan by me. I thought I wasn't ready. I thought she wasn't ready to hear. I thought there was no way that God would use me in that moment to transform her. There was no way he was going to use me. I also quietly thought that there was no way she was going to remember this conversation the next, mo- next day. The next morning, I was meeting up with my friends and I see my friend make a beeline towards me. I thought there was no way she was going to remember the conversation that we had had that night. But the first thing she says to me is, you said you were going to tell me about Jesus. In the last couple of weeks, we've been reading about the persecution that was following the spread of the gospel. In chapter seven and eight, we read about Stephen, the first Christian who was killed for sharing the truth and his faith in Jesus. This is where we first hear of a man named Saul. We don't get the complete picture of who Saul is just yet, but we do read in chapter eight, verse one, that Saul approved of the execution of Stephen. The stoning of Stephen doesn't shock him at all. It actually had his tick of approval. Saul had it in for Christians and he was glad to see Stephen die the death that he did. Stephen's death actually led to the scattering of the disciples and ultimately to the spread of the gospel. Chapter nine is where we continue to read more about this guy named Saul and his plan to get rid of the Christians. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. You see, Saul wasn't a good guy. Saul was determined to persecute, capture and kill those who belonged to the way to those who claimed Jesus as Lord. His plan was to drag them back to where they fled from and put them into prison. He wanted to prove that their lives weren't lined up with the one true God. This was his plan, but little did Saul know Jesus had other plans. Saul set out on his way, determined, angry, and fueled with rage to stop them from spreading the story of Jesus further. Saul was well on his way towards Damascus, but without any warning, he was surrounded by a bright light from heaven and he heard a voice speaking to him. Saul is asked a question in verse four that he wasn't expecting. 
Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. There is no doubt in who is talking to Saul. Jesus reveals himself personally to Saul. He essentially says to Saul, if you're persecuting them, then you're persecuting me. If you're persecuting the church, you're persecuting God himself. This encounter, it leaves Saul and his followers completely speechless. For three days, Saul was literally blind. He did not eat or drink anything. His followers even had to lead him into the city. I think this encounter that Saul had with Jesus left him in a state of shock. He must have been completely confused. Everything he thought was right would have been challenged. But lucky for Saul, he had plenty of time in the darkness um, to reflect on what, he had, what had happened and what he had been doing. To be met face to face with Jesus, the one who Saul had been persecuting, the one who Saul had been fighting against, the one who Saul didn't believe was God, was God. Now, to be honest with you, I think Saul was blind long before he was blinded with Jesus. Saul was blind to the truth of who Jesus is. Saul was blind to Jesus. When we read this encounter on the road to Damascus, it's hard not to keep our focus on Saul and think about how blind he once was. We feel ourselves asking, what is going to happen to this Christian killing man? Now, no spoilers just yet for those who haven't heard of Saul, but there is so much that we can learn from this passage. We can completely miss it if we stay here. We then get introduced to a man named Ananias, who we don't really hear of again after this passage. It's good to know who he is because he gets a front row seat to Saul's transformation. Actually, he gets called by God to play a part in it. Ananias was a disciple. He was a committed follower um, who believed in who Jesus claimed to be. As Saul is stuck in his blindness, God is a step ahead and he calls to Ananias in a vision. Yes, Lord, he answers. Ananias has a personal relationship with God and he acknowledges his voice. It's clear that he knows Christ's voice and he responds to it. The Lord tells Ananias that he needs to go to the house of Judas, find Saul, place your hands on him and restore his sight. I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. I could imagine the hesitation that's in Ananias's voice right here. Lord, not him. That's impossible. He could never become a Christian. Haven't you heard about all the terrible things that he is doing? What if he... Basically, this is the response that Ananias has when God tells him what he must do. But I think someone has to say it. I think Ananias' response to a murderer was a pretty natural reaction to have. Like, I don't blame him at all. He has a human response to what God calls him to do. But Ananias feels too close to home for me. His feelings towards Saul feel familiar. His hesitations feel like ones that I've experienced before. Ananias is stuck in a place of fear. But unlike Jonah and the whale, Ananias shares his fears with God. Ananias knew who Saul was before he had even reached Damascus. 
He knew that Saul had the authority to capture him, throw him in prison and possibly even kill him for what he believed. He knew there was a risk coming into close contact with Saul. What was it going to be like for Ananias to come face to face with a man who was breathing out murderous threats against people like him? But God says to Ananias so clearly, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to the kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Often we read the story and we purely focus on the radical change of Saul, which is undeniably an incredible transformation. But I love reading about Ananias, a disciple that feels very real, a disciple I feel like I can relate to. A disciple that shows us what happens when we trust God's leading. Ananias obeyed God. He followed God's leading, even though it felt like God was leading him to his death. He comes to the house. He places his hands on Saul. He lovingly greets him, brother Saul. He shares Jesus with him and immediately his sight is restored. Saul gets baptized and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Saul also has a snack. So I'm not sure if this snack is a super important detail, but I'm glad the Bible told us this. But we see the immediate transformation in Saul. We see his gospel transformation unfold before us. Before he even gained, snack, um, before he even gained strength from the snack that he ate, he was baptised. It was so clear that Saul was committed to this change. Saul was once the sworn enemy of Jesus. He was on the hunt to kill anyone who believed in Jesus. But then Saul meets Jesus. Completely humbled by his blindness, he recognises Jesus as king. He confesses his own sins. He surrenders his life to Christ and he willingly follows his call and obeys God. To be used as God's chosen instrument. As we keep going through the book of Acts, we will see the continual transformation of Saul who eventually becomes known as Paul the Apostle. He becomes a central character that God picked to use as his instrument to grow the church. The proof of Saul's life fills a large chunk of the Bible. You don't have to look far to find him amongst the pages. We will see him share the gospel to those who need to hear. He performs miracles. He preaches boldly and fiercely. He keeps his focus on Christ and he diligently leads others to Christ. But it also gives us the details of the way that Saul was beaten, thrown into prison, abused and persecuted. Saul suffers for the sake of Christ to be known. When Christ said he would show Saul what it meant to suffer for his name, he meant it. Paul says in 1 Timothy 1 verse 15, he says, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Saul was the most unlikely character to be invited into fellowship with Christ. But this is who Jesus came for. This is who Jesus calls us to reach out to. It wasn't because of how bad he was or the sin that he was committing against God. Because if it was that, all of us would be just as far from Jesus as Saul was. But it was because Jesus had plans for his chosen instrument. So Jesus calls Ananias to invite Saul in. Behind every great pastor, behind every great church leader, 
planter or evangelist who was once as far from Christ as we all start out to be is a faithful Ananias who simply followed God's leading and showed love despite his own fear and blindness. Sometimes listening to God, God's leading can be hard because he leads us to difficult places and people. But it's only here that we can actually see the true transformation that the gospel can bring. Saul and Ananias help us to see this. I've come to realize that Saul's blindness to Jesus was real long before he actually went blind. And in a sense, Ananias also didn't have the eyes to see what God wanted him to see, which was that God can turn any heart for any reason at any time for his glory. Saul also shows us the transformation that Jesus brings. Is Saul not the proof of the pudding for us that there isn't a single person or a single soul out there that God might one day reach, that God might one day save, deliver, use, give sight, that God might invite into his kingdom? Ananias also shows us how Jesus is continually transforming us. It's a lifelong process. This story clearly shows us that God uses his growing disciples. God uses his doubting disciples, his fearful disciples, his disciples who are unsure or scared. God uses his disciples who are also blind to the gospel transformation. God calls his disciples out to reach those he wants to transform. God calls his disciples out. And these disciples also get transformed in the process. The part of the passage I love is where we see God is explaining to Ananias why he wants him to go and see Saul. Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name, to spread the gospel, to change lives, to invite people into the kingdom of God. To be an instrument of God, it means to be a vessel. It means to be an instrument in which God can use for his glory. It meant that God was going to use Saul to be a part of his story. God wanted to use Saul to spread the gospel rather than to stop the gospel. Now, for those who don't know what it means to be an instrument of God, I want you to imagine an operating room. A life-altering surgery needs to be performed on a patient. Now, there is only one doctor that is capable of performing this surgery. The doctor has many tools that he will use and they are laid out on the bench, bench next to the patient. A scalpel is one of the many tools that will be used, but it's the tool that's needed to get this particular operation started. An instrument is kind of like a scalpel. The scalpel by itself is pretty useless, but in the hands of the doctor, it can be used to save this patient. God is the surgeon and he called Saul to be his scalpel. God's plan was to spread the gospel through this chosen instrument, Saul. But what Ananias couldn't see at the time was the transformation that God would bring. Ananias couldn't see how far he was once from God, just as Saul was. So he couldn't see the way that Jesus would transform him from persecutor to proclaimer. Ananias couldn't see the good news of Jesus how that was going to be shared with thousands. God calls Saul his chosen instrument. But I believe in this story, Ananias is also a chosen instrument. Even though Ananias was blind to what God's plans were, 
He listened and he obeyed. He became an instrument that God worked through. He reached out to one that would end up reaching thousands. Thousands would come to know who Jesus was through Saul. We see that in the beginning of this in the we see this in the beginning of this in the following verses. At once Saul began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the son of God. He preached fearlessly and boldly in the name of Jesus. It becomes Paul's regular to preach at every opportunity. The change in Saul was undeniable, yet there were Christians who questioned whether he had truly become a disciple of God or whether it was a ploy to capture more Christians. But the life Saul lived after this encounter with Jesus is proof of the transformation that only comes through the life-changing truth of Jesus and the personal relationship that we can have with him. The opposition against the gospel cannot stand. Nothing can stop Christ. He will continue to transform the hearts of those around us. The news of Jesus has been spreading for 2,000 years and he has given many the boldness to be a witness for Christ, including you. You can be used as God's chosen instrument. Maybe you completely relate with Saul and the transformation that God has done in his life or you want to see that transformation. Or maybe you share feelings, the same feelings uh, and fears with Ananias, the disciple. Both of them were created to be an instrument used by God. And so are you. When we share the gospel to one, it could reach thousands. That one um, child that you teach the gospel to at home could reach thousands. That one coworker you share the gospel with could reach thousands. That one grandparent that you invite into the kingdom of God could reach thousands. That one youth kid that you lead to follow Jesus could reach thousands. That young adult that you invite into the kingdom of God could end up reaching thousands. If one is all that it takes, isn't it, the worth, isn't it worth reaching out to that one? All disciples have the opportunity to be used as God's instruments. But I do think that we need to look at our blind spots. The reality is that we all have them, including me. Just like Ananias was blind, we can also struggle to see how God will use people. We struggle to see how God will transform them for his glory. We think that their sin will hold them back from the transformation that Jesus can bring. Last week, Matt touched on the many reasons why we don't take up the opportunities to share the good news of Jesus. A challenge that I personally have is when I read the story of Saul. I know that I often have similar reactions to Ananias. I know that there is a soul in my life who I would love to come see, know the truth of who Jesus is. But when it comes to sharing Jesus, I become stuck in my fear. I wonder how God will transform them. I even doubt that God will transform them. I'm stuck in a blind spot that I didn't realize that I had. And I don't actually make myself available to share the truth of Jesus. We are blind to the transformation that Jesus can bring. Maybe it's time to start asking those hard questions. Who or what people do you struggle to see welcomed into the family of God? Who do you struggle to see welcomed into the kingdom? Who do you struggle to see transformed?
take time to look for where you are blinded. If you come up with no answers, ask God to lead you to those difficult places or people who he wants you to reach. Because that one person that you share the gospel with could reach thousands. I think we can learn a lot from Ananias in the way that he reaches out to the one, in the way that he reaches out to Saul. Even though his initial response was fear, he didn't let it define or direct him when it came to reaching out to Saul. Ananias allowed God's word and love to guide him instead. We see that in the way that Ananias greets Saul. He greets him lovingly. He says, brother Saul. He automatically accepts and welcomes Saul into this family like he was part of the furniture. Even though he knew who Saul was and what he had come to do, fearful of what could have been his fate, seeing God use Ananias during a time where the church had been scattered because of the persecution reminds me of here and now. Right now we are considered the scattered church from Albury to Wodonga, to Yakandanda to Mount Beauty, from Jindra to Thaguna, Bonagilla, and to our random listeners in other countries. We are a scattered church. We may feel held back by the restrictions, and I definitely agree that it can make reaching out feel difficult. But there are things we can be doing to reach out to the one. It can be simple. It can be life-changing. It can be as simple as welcoming them into your family. A word of encouragement. It could be sending letters to your neighbours. It could be small gifts. It could be making cupcakes or a meal. I don't think it has to be anything super complicated, just an act that shows our family is open and ready for those who want to join. Just like Ananias was told to go, in Matthew 28 verse 19, those who follow Jesus today are also called to go. It says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We all have the opportunity to reach those who God is going to transform. That one person we share the gospel with could reach thousands. We just have to check out blind spots, be available to be used as an instrument, just like Ananias and Saul were, be willing to love and accept people into our family and go. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for the way that we can connect here, um, connect online. I just pray as a scattered church that we do reach out to the one. We reach out to those who we might struggle to um, respond to or struggle to even think how they could possibly welcome into your kingdom. But we know that they can and you are able. We know that you are the one who brings this gospel transformation. We know that you are capable of all things. And I pray that we can see the opportunities um, to be used by you, um, that that will bring glory to your name. Um, and I just pray for the, all of the families that are scattered amongst Aubrey Wodonga, that you are um, protecting them and guiding them um, and uplifting them during this time of the second lockdown um, and that you will be with them and their pres your presence will be known. Uh, all of these things in your name. Amen.